0: So let's begin with the chance as usual. All sentient beings may attain Buddhahood. From my heart I take refuge in the Three Jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood. From my heart I take refuge in the Three Jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood. From my heart I take refuge in the Three Jewels. Whatever the virtues of the many paths of knowledge, all are steps on the path of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. O Madhya please accomplish this. Just like the six ornaments and two supreme ones who beautify our world, you are their equal in your mastery of compassion, learning and realization. Yet you practice hidden in the forest and sacred solitude. Longchenpa who perfected samsara, nirvana, and state of Dharma Dreaming that was there. Stainless light at your feet, I pray. Grant your blessings so I may realize the natural state, the true nature of mind. Oh, I believe that we ended last time without completely finishing Buddha nature. Does anyone have a good sense of what page we ended on? 72. Page 72. Anyone else agree or disagree with page 72? Is that 172? I hear uh, 172. Do I hear 272? <laughs> 272, 272. 172 going once, 172 going twice. Sold to the butterfly on the plant for 172 uh caterpillar. Oh. 172.
1: I think
2: it may be 171 actually 171
0: <laughs> oh i agree 171 the rationale for relying on spiritual potential so why do we rely on spiritual potential this is to, it's an objection that calls into question necessity for the teaching of the potential and my response to the objection and let's see who's who here Uh, Emily, can you host me when you get a chance? Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: You should also be good to share screen now if you're trying to do that.
0: Great, thanks. Oh, that's a good reminder. We have that chart. Uh, Chart. Okay, sorry for the delay. Uh, making comparisons to clouds and so forth, some say all that is noble is empty completely. How is it then that in this case victorious ones say that the very essence of Buddhahood exists in ordinary beings? This is a crucial issue, you know, this whole issue of... Uh, difference between the focus on uh, the emptiness of all phenomena and the teaching on buddha nature and so it's uh, basically the dividing line between the traditions in tibet buddhism probably other types of buddhism as well to elaborate in the intermediate series of teachings i.e. the second turning of the wheel of the dharma the buddha speaks of all phenomena as impermanent i.e. like clouds untrue like dreams uh, lacking any independent nature, even though they result from an interaction of causes and conditions like illusions and so forth. The t- traditional list of 12 illusions that Longchenpa goes through in the third volume of his Finding Rest uh, in, uh, in Illusion. And it goes through the, the eight or eight illusions. This being so, people of inferior intellect might say, how is it there are statements asserting that the heart essence of being is permanent, true, uncompounded? This seems to be contradictory when the Tathagatas have said that everything is emptiness like clouds and so forth. This objection can be uh, countered by the argument that this heart essence is empty insofar as it is devoid of flaws, i.e. anything of a compounded nature and so forth but it is not empty in the sense that its qualities are discounted the word discount is a little odd it's not empty in the sense that its qualities are discounted uh until i got to that word i was about to say this is the essence of the other empty tradition of tibetan buddhism that says that uh The heart essence is empty in terms of defilements, but it's not empty in terms of uh, the possession of Buddha qualities. I cited previously, although one's fundamental being is devoid of adventitious factors that are characterized as separate from it, and this is from the Uttara Tantra, the Supreme Continuum by Maitreya, it is not devoid of unsurpassable factors that are characterized as inseparable from it response is as follows, the ultimate authentic state, fundamental being is completely pure by nature, space uncompounded. No, nevertheless, karma, afflictive states, and so forth, manifest within it, like cloud formations. It can be shown that suffering is, is, is as ephemeral as clouds, for it results from afflictions. Uh, from the fallacious functioning of ordinary mind, It can be shown that karma is like dreams, for it is uh, manifest, yet lacks any independent nature. It can be shown that the skandas, which are created by kleshas and karma, are like illusions and phantoms. Teachings that convey these points serve as antidotes to overt fixation on identity as something absolute. In other words, this is a provisional teaching. It's taught as an antidote to obscurations. It has a skillful purpose. It's a skillful means. It's not necessarily the absolute definitive meaning. Five further faults might, might arise, such as fixation on affirming or denying that emptiness is absolute. To avert these, one's fundamental being is shown to be Buddha-nature ultimately real. And he gives this quote that goes through those five, or that reinforces this idea and then he goes through these five faults, faint heartedness, belittling lesser beings, failing to perceive what is authentic, disparaging, what is authentic and egocentric attachment. The Buddha spoke of these five faults so that those who had them could eliminate them. He pointed them out so that they could be worked on. To elaborate, one might might not perceive that the very heart of enlightenment, to the is present within one. And so one would become faint hearted thinking. How can I become a Buddha? Someone such as I cannot become Buddha, attain Buddhahood. So, faintheartedness. Um, and therefore, one might not arouse bodhicitta. Even if one aroused bodhicitta, might belittle other beings, thinking I'm a bodhisattva, where, while others are very ordinary. It goes through the five uh, in a similar way. At the end he says, by falling into naïve affirmation or denial, one would disparage whatever is authentic. In not seeing oneself and other beings as equal, one would perceive things egocentrically in terms of self and other. He cites a verse that uh, repeats these five flaws and the reasoning around them. On 174 it says, if one understands that fundamental being is spontaneously present in oneself and others, one will feel enthusiasm, understanding that there is nothing to prevent one's mind from achieving liberation. One can develop respect for all beings as though they were Buddhas, so that in addition to not harming or injuring them, one can benefit them. One can assure the welfare of others. Um, By by expanding the scope of... uh, Prajna, Shñana, and immeasurable love, compassion.
1: Derek, can I just make sure when he says fundamental being a few times here, is that considered synonymous with spiritual potential and Buddha nature? Are those all the same concept essentially?
0: That's what um that's how I'm understanding them, yeah. And uh, uh I don't know, maybe maybe look up in the glossary, is there yeah. fundamental being? What is it? The word list at the end. Fundamental being is uh, usually black beans, but in this case it's lime, lima beans. It's on page 473. Just kidding. He gives the Tibetan word calm, which means element. So it's the uh, Gotra. It's more like the Gotra. So it's not exactly Tathagata Garba, but all beings possess the potential, the sort of lineage of Tathagata Garba. It's an interesting distinction, though, a subtle distinction. Um, he repeats this in a, in a, with a quote and concludes saying it should be understood that the foregoing discussion. This spiritual potential is based entirely on the definitive meaning of the teachings, which for him is the third turning. It does not rely on the provisional meaning at all. Because this theme is pivotal to the Maya and difficult to realize, I've explained it in detail here. So, there's a a very interesting thing about Longchenpa where he culminates in the present, in terms of the view. When he presents the view of the different schools, he culminates with the prasanga view and, claim, and uh, extols that at great length as being the ultimate view. Uh, however, he has no problem at all asserting the definitive nature of Buddha nature, or the definitive status, I should say, of Buddha nature, and thereby affiliating himself with the third turning of the wheel of the Dharma. And this is uh, an interesting thing in that in the Nyingma tradition, they view the correct understanding of prasangitka to be based on the third turning of the wheel of the Dharma, which is a a subtle and complicated topic that deserves further exploration at some time coming soon. Uh, Rousing Bodhicitta. Can
2: I ask, is there a specific text or source associated particularly with what you just said?
0: Thank you for asking that. That was like on cue. Did we plan this? There is. There's a great text, and it's, it's been recently translated by, the, by a great translation team called the Padmakara Translation Committee, of which a member is Wollstone Fletcher, one of my great idols. And uh, it is in a book called uh, The Life of Mipam that has come out just like in the last couple of weeks okay. by Wisdom Publication. And uh, the, it's a biography of Mipom by Dilgo Kense Rinpoche, one of the greatest teachers of our age. And uh, included in it is a translation of some of the writings of Mipom Rimshe, including a text called The Lion's Roar of Intrinsic Emptiness. And that is the text that Trungpa Rinpoche extols as uh, being a very profound and enlightening text in general and in particular for him in his own study and his path and development. He, uh, he claims to have had quite a, a sort of uh, aha moment, if you could might say, through reading that text. And uh, my hope and wish is that we will study that text sometime soon, now that it's available in a really good translation been waiting for this day for some time so thanks arousing bodhicitta shall we do that shall we all take a moment and arouse bodhicitta okay okay how did that go? Good, thumbs up. What did you do? What did you do? How did you rouse Bodhicitta? Mary Beth, how did you rouse Bodhicitta?
3: Not a goodwill for all.
0: Liz, how did you rouse Bodhicitta? Uh, Brent, how did you rouse Bodhicitta? We'll give you more time, Liz. Uh, just like thinking about opening the heart like the rib cage coming up like open heart surgery where they pry open the ribs and and the uh, whole chest in inside is exposed cool emily how did you visualize uh, raising bodhicitta uh
1: visualize expanding across the entire globe essentially and also across time um Basically,
0: that's it. <laughs> all times and places. Lori. how did you arouse Bodhicitta?
2: I was thinking of everyone having Tathagata garba and wishing them all well, <laughs> you know, starting close up and then expanding out.
0: That's great. Barbara, how did you arouse Bodhicitta?
2: I actually started raising wind horse instead.
0: Ah, similar. That's great secret, secret esoteric teachings from the Shabala tradition of Chogyam Chompa, which hopefully we'll, we can share with all of you someday. Cynthia, how did you rouse bodhicitta?
2: Well, actually, I kind of had went with the sort of first flash like you do in Tonglen, which is more the absolute bodhicitta flash, and then kind of went with uh, expanding uh, to more the heart and the world.
0: That's great, or absolute and relative, neat. Liz, back to you.
2: Well, I started out um, with those sort of traditional ways, but then I was a little bit thrown off because I had just read about this formally arousing bodhicitta thing. So I was like, wait a minute, does that mean I, (laughs) Um, you know, like get this shrine, which is not quite together yet and, you know, I, I was a little bit like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I have to think about what I read earlier today about
0: that. So, I can- thank you, Morgan. How did you raise arouse Uh
2: Just connected with
0: people around me, and um, you know, wish wished them well, and thought of all that was good about them. Well, Kevin. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Jeez, you're poking me in the eye. Ouch. Stop poking me.
2: Yeah, I, I uh, raised Wind Horse as well, remembered my shambala training. Oh. He, he, so, so.
0: Brock, how did you arouse Bodhicitta? Just uh, thinking about dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. Cool. Uh, Uh, Henrietta, how did you rouse Bodhicitta?
2: Um, I remembered to just pause and raise uh, ultimate Bodhicitta, just flash on that. And that's as far as I got.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, Esquire, are you here?
1: Yes, I'm here. Um, I think I'm a bit like a combination of Liz and... um, uh, Henrietta, which is, I was a bit confused. I don't really know how to rouse it. I feel like I'm, I I want to think that it's part of my basic attitude. And so I guess when you exhorted me to rouse it, I just kind of turned my attention to it again.
0: Cool. It's, it's, it's constantly in your mind stream, right? (laughs) One can only hope. Okay, well, let's see what Longchenpa says. My discussion of how someone with this spiritual potential, which is everybody, by the way, arouses bodhicitta, has three parts, coming to an understanding of the nature of the attitude aroused, how the attitude is aroused in light of this understanding, and the stages of training to be observed. And uh, so, by the way, bodhicitta is the most important topic in Mahayana Buddhism, and uh, is... uh the essence, the main topic of the Bodhicaryavatara, the way of a Bodhisattva, probably the most famous traditional Buddhist text after, um, well, one of them. Understanding that nature has two aspects, the foundation and the, its nature. According to, so he goes through different points of view of uh, who can rouse Bodhicitta. What's the foundation for giving birth to it? In the Chitamatra system, the physical foundation, physical foundation, like what sort of being, what sort of substance can give rise to bodhicitta, someone, a person, who holds one of the seven kinds of ordination. So you have to be ordained in order to arouse bodhicitta, which includes upasika or lay ordination. Uh, secondly, skipping the quote, according to the interpretation of the Madhyamika, System so bodhicitta can be aroused even by gods, nagas, and others who have a dedicated interest in the Mahayana and who wish to attain Buddhahood. Which is a little bit radical from the traditional Buddhist point of view of the human realm being the only realm that you can seriously pursue the Dharma. Here, uh, we're including some god realms as uh, as well. It gives a supporting quote. A uh, few supporting quotes, and then skipping if, skipping those as to the foundation for maintaining the attitude. Once it has been aroused, the circumstances of beings in any of the five classes can provide such support. And he quotes from the Bhadra Kalpika Sutra, The Fortunate Day and in The Lifetime in Which the Victorious One. Oh, this is a funny quote. Uh, I'm going to skip this quote. Uh, You might wonder, does this mean that ordination for individual liberation is not required as the foundation for arousing uh, bodhicitta? So there's this question of, does one need to uh, be a monk? Does one need to have taken uh, pradimoksha, the, uh, the pradimoksha vows of individual liberation? Um, Is that required? Even in the case of Madhyamika's system, Madhyamika's system's interpretation of arousing Bodhicitta, a 24-hour vow not to take life does not constitute ordination for individual liberation. Therefore, although this guy, Hitayshin, aroused Bodhicitta by relying on that fundamental goodness as a cause, it was not considered the actual foundation. I have no freaking idea what he's getting at here. It's totally unclear to me. Anyway, as to the mental foundation, this entails specific meritorious attitudes such as faith. But he, he, like, confuses confuses me. It's like, is he saying you have to be uh, ordained? I don't know. Anyway, let's skip to the nature. Uh, we, we know that in, in uh, the tradition, as it's developed, at least uh, in terms of what has been passed out to us this day, this day by basically all traditions of Tibetan Buddhism, one does not have to have taken the uh, vows of individual liberation essence. What bodhicitta is, in essence, has three aspects. It's characteristics, classification, and the significance of the individual topics of that. What is characterized is the spirit of the Mahayana path, which can be appropriately designated bodhicitta. So the spirit of the path, the entire path in Mahayana, is bodhicitta spirit. It includes whatever is subsumed within the attitudes of aspiration and involvement, which are the two main types a bodhicitta aspiring and then actually involving oneself when, with uh, trying to accomplish one's aspiration, which are expressions of one's desire to attain perfect enlightenment for the sake of others. That is the essence of the six transcendent perfections. So simply put, the essence of bodhicitta is the aspiration to attain perfect enlightenment for the sake of others, and then the involvement in going about trying to both attain enlightenment and benefit others through the six perfections, the six paramitas. Skipping the quote, thus, uh, there are seven different ways of looking at bodhicitta classifications. First, a twofold one is what we just went over from the bodhicharvatara here translated as engaging in the conduct of a bodhisattva Bodhicitta in brief is understood to have two aspects, an attitude of aspiring to enlightenment and involvement in the pursuit of enlightenment alternatively from the sutra uh, the uh, Mahapari Nirvana sutra which would be the Mahayana version of that sutra as opposed to the earlier Nikaya version classified into its relative and ultimate aspects Bodhicitta has two connotations like the term sendapa whatever that is. The threefold classification of bodhicitta is based on three aspects that correspond to the progression of the three kinds of discipline. Purification, uh, discipline, referring to uh, training and discipline, stabilization. So this is basically shila, samadhi, and prajna. Discipline, meditation, and wisdom. And He's going to explain these further, in a page or in a couple of pages so i'm not going to go through them carefully here so a Fourfold a classification is as follows those on the path of accumulation and linkage together combined aroused bodhicitta with dedicated intent then we have the first of the seven spiritual levels which is this common way of dividing the ten bhumis into two parts one through seven aroused bodhicitta with a completely pure altruistic motivation as opposed to just a dedicated attempt they have an actually completely pure altruistic motivation because they've realized emptiness the absence of self and those in the three pure spiritual levels eight nine and ten boomies eight nine and ten arouse bodhicitta that is fully mature for those on the level of Buddhahood, the presence of bodhicitta is based on the fact that all obscurations have been eliminated. He uh, gives a supporting quotation from the texts, The Ornament of the Sutras, which is by Maitreya, the uh, Mahayana Sutra the five dharmas, and then in the fivefold classification of bodhicitta, the arousal of it is described as mapping up onto the five paths, and then we have a, a classification that maps onto the six perfections. And skipping the quote, finally, there's a classification of bodhicitta according to the delineation of the various spiritual levels as illustrated by 22 analogies. And This was demonstrated in the charts that I circulated, one from the profound treasury and one from Emily, that Emily put together based on uh, Longchenpa's explanation of these here. So first there's the list of the analogies very quickly. Earth, gold, moon, fire, treasure, jewel, mine, ocean, water, mountain, medicine, spiritual, mentor, wish-fulfilling gem, sun, song, king, treasury, highway, vehicle, reservoir, echo, river, cloud. Those are the twenty-two aspects, and you'll see these analogies come up a lot in Buddhist literature. They're they're constantly referenced in different ways, and they all sort of trace back to this idea of bodhicitta that they're they're different. Ways of referring to the qualities of bodhicitta. Um, he uh, he uh, gives a further quote from the same source that doesn't really expand that well on it, but he explains it in in his uh, paragraph after the quote. He says specifically, the first three correspond to the three phases of the path of accumulation, and I'm going to show the charts here. Let's see charts. Uh, let's see charts where am i charts charts what happened <laughs> screen share let pause here start over again whenever you screw up start over again <laughs> Here's uh, what Emily put together, and we have the first three: Earth, Gold, and the Moon. Significance, attention, intention, attention, altruistic motivation, path of accumulation, and then the stages from uh, the uh, profound treasury, one through four. Uh, We'll skip this column, okay? We have the path accumulation, lesser, medium, greater, then path uh, of unification or linkage or preparation is the second path, and we have these four, earth, gold, moon, and fire, and uh, Emily had fire, application, path of linkage, so far we have complete agreement, amazing, uh, Longchenpa says the first three corresponded to the three phases of a path of accumulation, application, corresponds to the path of linkage. We saw that, the ten transcendent perfections, from generosity up to and including timeless awareness. Correspond to the ten spiritual levels, So, timeless awareness, wisdom, shnana. These are the analogies, treasure, jewel, mind, and so forth, up through sun and dharma song. And then back to Longchenpa, he says the next five from the sublime states of perception up to and including the powers of complete recall and self-confidence correspond to the three pure spiritual levels, which would be uh, eight, nine, and ten. So further, um, here they're affiliated with uh, the path of no more learning, which is not, doesn't seem to be what Longchenpa is saying, the ten spiritual levels, three pure spiritual levels, as Emily says here uh these these five are associated with the three pure spiritual levels uh, eight nine and ten boomies again and uh it says the last three respectively correspond to three phases of the tenth so this is eight sublime states of perception as a king is the eighth boomie of treasury is the ninth boomie and then uh a highway, a vehicle, and a reservoir correspond to the lesser, medium, and greater stages of the 10th uh, booming.
1: Right, can, I, can I jump in? Because that was confusing to me as I was making this. Because my understanding was that the, he says that the 10 transcendent perfections correspond to the 10 spiritual levels. So that ends at song. Oh no, I guess you're... No, okay, never mind. I, I just, I just didn't understand why there were ten. It seems like us, like that. That implies that song would be number ten. Yeah. But then
0: screw that up. I, song, song is the tenth boomy. But so then. The next, if pertain to the three spiritual levels, as you said, and I screwed up this thing about the lesser, greater, and more. The. Uh, the last three, which are these Echo, River, and Cloud, correspond to the tenth boomy. So
1: they, they link back to
0: yeah. They,
1: like, they link back to song, kind of. <laughs> Is that what happens? Or uh,
0: yeah, there's the the echo of a song, a river of a song, and a cloud of a song. <laughs> but these five, they they don't. They're just like the three spiritual levels in general. These five, right? They don't like specifically correspond to anybody. Anyway, great job. Thank you very much, Emily. Uh, certainly uh, not something to lose sleep over, whether they match or not, but anyway. Going on the of Bodhicitta during the ceremony in which a formal vow is taken pertains only to the paths involving learning. What are the paths involving learning? The first four of the five paths involve learning. The fifth path is the path of no more learning. Uh, It, the arousal of bodhicitta during a ceremony, does not pertain to the level of Buddhahood. It is to be understood that supreme innate compassion is the presence of bodhicitta free of all obscuration. So, supreme compassion is identical to uh, bodhicitta, ensuring the welfare of beings onto, onto the level of Buddhahood. In terms of the significance of these seven classifications, that of the attitudes of aspiration and involvement are as follows. So then he's going to go through in detail these seven ways of classifying the essence of bodhicitta. And first is the two as aspiration and involvement. When one is inspired to apply oneself for the sake of others, this is the arousal bodhicitta's aspiration. Which is analogous to wanting to go somewhere. Uh, where do you want to go? city of nirvana? Buddha the city of nirvana, yes. Put that in your GPS. (laughs) How long does it take? Three incalculable hands. (laughs) Um, When one becomes involved in this pursuit, this is the arousal of bodhicitta's involvement, which is analogous to actually making the journey. Uh, it gives the supporting quote. Then, uh, 179. The significance of the three exalted trainings: śīla, uh, samādhi, and prajñā. The exalted training in discipline is to restrain one's mind from developing non-virtuous tendencies. The training in mind is to encourage the growth of what is positive. For example, meditative absorption, and the training in sublime knowing, prajñās, ensure benefit for oneself and others, and discernment concerning the knowable. It's to know what to do, what to accept, what to reject, reject, and uh, to know what's true and untrue. The significance of the four graduated levels is as follows. When one's general framework is a dedicated intent to develop one's spiritual potential, this is the arousal of bodhicitta out of dedicated intent. This one was sort of wrote. When one, one has actually glimpsed one's spiritual potential to some degree, this is the of Bodhicitta with pure altruistic motivation. This was Bhumi's 1 through 7. When one, one has gained the power to experience pure realms and so forth, that would be cool. This is the Arasala Bodhicitta that is fully mature. That's 8 through 10. And when there is suchness itself, free of all obscurations, the presence of Bodhicitta is based on the fact that all obscurations have been eliminated, i.e., Buddhahood. Then he goes through the five paths. Given that as a beginning practitioner, one is involved primarily in hearing and contemplating teachings, as well as developing merit, there is the path of accumulation. This is us, he's talking about me, maybe you. Given that one has provided a link to the path of seeing, you have the URL for the path of seeing. You enter that in your browser. That is the experience of non-conceptual, timeless awareness jnana there is the path of linkage given that one perceives the true nature of phenomena directly that is the path of seeing these are like definitions of the paths of seeing from the point of view of bodhicitta sordani of given that one cultivates a meditation what one has already seen One familiarizes oneself with emptiness with the true nature of phenomena there is the path that is the path of meditation it's like on jeopardy when they say uh, the way they answer questions, that is the path of meditation. Is that something they have a formula? And given that there's nothing to cultivate in meditation once when training has been consummated, there is, what they say, what is the path of no more learning? Is that how it goes on Jeopardy? <laughs> I don't know. My parents used to watch that. drive me crazy. The significance of the six perfections... Generosity is the positive attitude of giving to others without hoarding spiritual possessions, material, sorry, material possessions. Don't hoard, don't be a hoarder. Discipline consists of guarding the mind against harmful forms of behavior. Patience is forbearance in the face of injury, and uh, diligence is enthusiasm for the positive. Meditative stability entails resting one pointedly on a single focus non-focus, sublime knowing. Prajna means understanding the true nature of phenomena and the significance of the levels delineated by the above-mentioned analogies. As for them, the master, Strasena, and others maintain that while well, one is still of this world, i.e. Uh, a commoner, a mundane being, i.e. before the path of seeing, the entire spatial path consists of the arousal of Bodhicitta's aspiration. Whereas once one has perceived what is true, it consists of the arousal of bodhicitta's involvement. This is a really interesting point. He's saying that we're just pretending when we think we're actually involving ourselves in the uh, engaged, the second type of bodhicitta of the perfections. Really, we're just ast- we're still aspiring. So the focus is on aspiring, and that's that's uh, said many times by many teachers who have come and taught our uh, the community of Chomdu Tronga Rinpoche, in particular, I remember gave a talk on uh, one of the higher practices, and he said, basically, our path at this point is aspiration, constantly focusing on and fostering the aspiration to uh, progress on the path, so that one may be a benefit for others. Um, let's see. By Akara and several other commentators hold that the three phases, initial, intermediate, and final of the arousal bodhicitta path of accumulation, constitute bodhicitta's aspiration, whereas all the other 19 taken together from the path of linkage onward illustrate bodhicitta's. So he says the dividing line is the second path as opposed to uh, the third path. And he, you know, there's a quote from that guy. And then uh, Sagaramega and others contend that bodhicitta's aspiration when it's not aroused with the intention to attain enlightenment and, and that it is involvement when it is so aroused. That's interesting. I don't know quite what bodhicitta would be if it's not aroused with the intention to attain enlightenment. There are many other interpretations, but mine is that bodhicitta's aspiration when one wishes to attain enlightenment for the sake of others and involvement when one maintains that aspiration through application. So he's a, of a much looser mindset and doesn't delineate, doesn't restrict it to beings of certain types and levels and colors and shapes and ages. And uh, he has a non-discrimination policy in his application of bodhicitta, an affirmative action policy. I hold these two to be distinct facets of one and the same thing. What are the causes? Causes were fairly simple. The Razzler, yeah. yes, ma'am.
2: Uh, I just wanted to point out that the footnote to that paragraph states that he's agreeing with Shantideva. That
0: that at that one.
2: that the the two to be distinct facets of one and the same thing agrees with Shantideva's interpretation also. I see
0: as expressed in the quote at the bottom of one seventy six. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. And you can't align yourself with anybody better than Shanti Deva, huh? I guess Longchenpa, both of them. Arousal of bodhicitta has three causes faith is yearning that focuses on Buddhahood, compassion that focuses on ordinary beings, and hearing about the benefits and advantages of bodhicitta, reading about it in the newspaper, hearing about it on the Fox News. The ornament of the sutras explains the Arasla Bodhicitta. Uh, let's see, he repeats that in the quote. He has another quote. Then the results. The results of the Arasla Bodhicitta is two kinds of results, short-term and far-reaching. There are five short-term. The first is the vast scope of one's conduct. So the short-term benefit is one has uh, expands one's scope of one con- one's conduct to be vast, including, let's see, he says, They're always involved in bodhicitta, vast scope. When one undertakes hardship for the sake of others, one takes joy in the happiness others feel and in the suffering required by one's own sacrifices. One takes joy in the suffering required by one's own sacrifice. The second is the attainment of a meaningful role, finding meaning in life. What's life's purpose? To Benefit others. Help other beings attain enlightenment. In the instant, there's a nice quote. In the instant they have aroused bodhicitta, wretched creatures, bound in the prison of samsara, will be called heirs of the Sugatas, and honored by gods and men, humans, sorry, of this world. This quote is included in our bodhisattva vow. I believe the third is the accomplishment of all one's aims, which is spoken of in passages such as the following from the cluster, cluster of stems. (laughs) Whatever any of you may wish for, arouse unsurpassable bodhicitta, and you will attain it. It's like the wish-fulfilling gem. So uh, the fourth is the exhaustion of the effects of all harmful actions. If you're constantly focused on bodhicitta, it will gradually exhaust all harmful actions. Skipping the quote, fifth is the enormous increase in what is positive. Your your virtues will increase. And uh, skipping the two quotes, the far-reaching result. No, actually, uh, one of these quotes, the second one, let's see. For any person to meditate on bodhicitta even for an instant, the amassed merit cannot be calculated even by the victorious ones. So the most meritorious thing in the world is to give rise to bodhicitta. The far-reaching result is the swift attainment of Buddhahood. So uh, let's see a couple of quotes around that. And then formally arousing bodhisattva. Has anybody here uh, done the formal public ceremony and taking bodhisattva? Lori, cool. Henrietta, Barbara, Cynthia, neat. And you others, not not bodhisattvas yet. You don't, you don't want to become. Buddha, Mary Beth has taken it also. Or you are you volunteering to be a bodhisattva?
3: I have taken it. I You're was pleased that maybe what you were asking was something different than that.
0: Ah uh, I ahead. see. Have you have you publicly proclaimed your intent?
3: Yes. You were there.
0: I know, that's why I was surprised you didn't chime <laughs> in. <Shying laughs> Formally rousing bodhisattva. Got to get all dressed up and you got to memorize and so forth but the foregoing is a background when aroused bodhicitta three stages preparation the main ceremony and the conclusion the preparatory stage is stage involves arranging offerings on a shrine this is what liz was troubled by earlier when i asked her to us to arouse bodhicitta she's like oh my god i have to do all this stuff in front of representations of the three jewels, the student that pays homage with prostrations presents the symbolic offerings of the entire universe. That's known as a mandala offering, by the way. The preceptor directs the student's intention by explaining the benefits and advantages of arousing bodhicitta. According to the Chitamatra system, he gives this other view, and then he says... Uh, However, my interpretation, consistent with the Madhyamaka system, is that the preparation consists in performing the seven branches of worship, the famous Mahayana, seven branches of worship in either an extensive or abridged format. That is, uh, paying homage or prostrating, making offerings, confessing the effects of harmful actions, rejoicing in the virtues of others, praying for the wheel of Dharma to be turned, re- uh, requesting uh, to be returned, entreating enlightened beings not to pass into final nirvana, and dedicating all one's virtue to all beings. During the main ceremony, the student recites the following words three times, and this is from the Bodhicaryavatara, included in our ceremony as well, the liturgy that we use and the tradition that Trungpa Rinpoche established and developed for us. Well, Buddha's transcendent, accomplished, conquerors, dwelling in the ten directions, gurus, or supreme vajra holds the great bodhisattvas dwelling in the spiritual levels. Heed me, I pray. We use a uh, different translation. Just Sukhadas of the past arouse bodhicitta, just they continue to progress in the training of the bodhisattvas. So too, in order to benefit beings, do I arouse bodhicitta? So too, will I apply myself in order to progress in the training. You can add this to your morning liturgy if you like to recite things, you know, chants and such. It's a great thing to recite in, uh, in in your meditation session. At the cl- conclusion of the ceremony, the preceptor instills a sense of enthusiasm by describing the benefits and advantages of rousing Bodhisattva. The student recites lines like the following from, uh, also from the Bodhisattva Finally, my life has become uh, meaningful. I've attained a genuine human birth. This today I am born into the family of the Buddhas. Now I become an heir of the Buddhas. Now I will come what may, embark on activity benefiting my family, while act in such a way as to not bring disgrace on this flawless, venerable family, uh, and so forth. The training to be observed has two parts a detailed analysis of the training and an explanation of the way in which it is observed. A detailed analysis of the training has two parts. Uh, the, the Chichamatra system holds, but there are four fundamental downfalls. So the analysis was uh, primarily about downfalls in Bodhicitta. And when you take the art tradition, you get this list of Forty-six potential downfalls that you need to be aware of. In the, when you take the refuge vow, you have five precepts, very simple to remember. You got these five precepts. When you take the bodhisattva vow, you got a list of forty-six things you're not supposed to do. So you got to be sort of careful. It's hard to remember forty-six things. Uh, let's see. As for the four fundamental downfalls, the Buddha intend that they be considered similar to the actions that violate monastic or They are out of attachment to gain and honors, praising oneself, belittling others. That's pretty clearly a downfall. Out of avarice, withholding the dharma or material possessions from those who are in pain and helpless. Uh, out of anger, punishing others without paying heed to their apologies. And after having abandoned the Mahayana, pretending to be a practitioner of the sacred dharma, remember that well. Second followers of the Madhyamaka system hold that there are either 19 or 20 further vows. Or no, that's their system. Instead of having four vows, they have 19 or 20. The compendium training lists five, etc. He puts them in little groups, and then he explains the first group of five Include stealing the property of the Three Jewels. Try not to steal from the, When you, you know, you become part of this uh, community, a Sangha, and try not to steal from that community. Imposing a sentence on a fully ordained person who's maintaining their vows, causing an ordained person to renounce their vows, the five acts that entail immediate karmic retribution, which uh, it's funny they don't have a note on that, but I think it's things like killing the Buddha or drawing blood from a Buddha, killing your parents, um, causing a schism in the Sangha, and I don't know, uh, killing oneself, I think, maybe. Second group of five includes subjugating hamlets. This is like an easy one for most of us. I don't think many of us have a problem restraining ourselves from you know, conquering hamlets, villages, towns, cities, or nations. Maybe for uh, Genghis Khan, this was an issue. But third group of eight includes teaching emptiness to those mind, whose minds are not prepared. So, you know, your mom gives you a hard time at, at, at you know, Thanksgiving, and, and you don't want to answer with, with you know, mom, everything's empty. By the way everything has no substance like a dream it's like an illusion you should really just let go Ah, uh, let's see causing those who've entered the mahayana to renounce it, professing adherence to the mind while dismissing the discipline of the pradhi moksha of the Hinayana uh, refuge following the spiritual approaches of shavakas and their buddies or causing others to follow them so if you're that's a downfall to bodhicitta is following the approach of shravakas it's a little bit sectarian huh anyway praising oneself and belittling belittling rather belittering belittering others for the sake of obtaining honors professing that one has gained a patient acceptance of the profound nature of reality it's such a cool phrase isn't it in other words like It's basically like professing that you've attained enlightenment. But it refers specifically, I believe, to the Eighth Bumi, misdirecting or misappropriating the property of the Three Jewels, giving the possessions of a meditator with calm abiding, one whose practice consists of recitation. There's a footnote on that. It's a little bit of an odd one, not really that worth going into, but... The fault that's common to all people is relinquishing one's attitude of bodhicitta. Obviously, that's the worst downfall: is to let go of bodhicitta. When relinquishing one's attitude of involvement is included, the number of vows is twenty. So, those are two. How to observe the training is uh, referred to in the uh, To those who wish to guard their minds, I say, folding my hands, even if it were to cost your life, guard your mindfulness and alertness. So. We're in the Mahayana, all this lofty, uh, uh, unconditional compassion and timeless awareness and so forth. Most important thing in observing the training, mindfulness and alertness. Mindfulness and awareness. Alertness is the translation of the Sanskrit term, samprajanya, and in Tibetan, Sheshan, which Chumprevich translates as awareness and affiliates with the Vipassana. So basically, mindfulness and awareness is the key in observing the training in all stages of the path. This indicates that once you train with unimpaired mindfulness and alertness, avoiding four defects and cultivating four positive qualities. The four are uh, deceiving gurus and others worthy of honor, causing others to regret something they should not, uttering improper and unpleasant words. Oops. and showing disrespect towards bodhisattvas, who have aroused bodhicitta and behaving towards others with pretense and deception rather than with altruism. Pretense and deception. have to remember these improper and unpleasant words. Uh, the four positive are given from the same source, which... Oh, it was the amassing of the rare and sublime Kashyapa Parivajra Sutra. Oh, Kashyapa, if Bodhisattvas possess four qualities, Bodhicitta will manifest for them in all lifetimes immediately upon rebirth and will not be forgotten. What are these four? Not telling a lie even for the sake of saving one's life. Thank God for the Vajrayana. Huh? Maintaining altruism toward all beings without pretense or deception thinking of bodhisattvas as the teacher as the buddha and praising their their true qualities in the four directions ensuring all those beings who aspire to reach total spiritual maturity will authentically embrace unsurpassable and completely perfect enlightenment because nothing less will suffice uh, skipping the additional quote and uh, if and when an infraction occurs one can restore one's vow by re- Retaking it after having confessed the fault with regret, and he gives the supporting quote in brief, once you train constantly day and night to remove these those factors that are to be eliminated and develop those that are be uh, to be accomplished, neither being separate from the attitude of a, uh, desiring Buddhahood for the sake of others never sorry
2: uh Derek yes, ma'am. Um, when he says retaking the vow, does he mean the formal ceremony or just um one uh,
0: he doesn't say and there's no uh there
2: is there instruction on that
0: i don't know maybe the note says it, but uh in the tradition it's either either it's either either you do it on your own and uh-huh. uh, be as formal about it as you like uh-huh. but but the key is genuine intention okay. and uh you're more than welcome to do it when there's a public ceremony. And most, most of the time it's done there are people who are repeaters. <laughs> Repeating their vow, reaffirming their vow. Thank you. Uh, traversing the path. Here he gives an explanation of the, uh, the five paths, which is pre- pretty amazing. Uh, uh, presentation. And uh, I think it's it's important or at least helpful to uh, remember the stages of the Shravaka path because these are incremental and he refers to them a lot. And so it's helpful to do that. That presentation started on page 129. So I may flip back and forth a little bit. A discussion of how the path is traversed is based on explanations of the five paths, accumulation, linkage, scene, meditation, and no more learning. path of accumulation has two aspects, the foundation of the path and its nature. The foundation is any framework in which an individual first gives rise to the Mahayana attitude of bodhicitta, having successfully aroused this attitude when it's capable of undertaking the initial phase of the path of accumulation. So. As soon as you take the Bodhisattva vow you can be on the path of uh, the Mahayana path of accumulation. And before that, you're on the Hinayana path of accumulation. So you can shift just in a moment, a finger snap, you can say, oh, Bodhicitta, and you're on the Mahayana path. Nature of the path is discussed in relation to three things, cause, result, and and essence, it causes the spiritual potential that it binds inherently, tathagata garba or the the uh, family gotra uh, which is awakened, wakes up when one receives and contemplates the teachings of the Mahayana. Its result is the four subsequent paths, the three paths of linkage, seeing and meditation, and that I'm more, no no more learning. What it is, in essence, can be examined from four points of view. Characteristics, that which is characterized, an analysis and distinctive features. It's contagious, isn't it? The positive factors of constantly rousing the Mahayana attitude from the point when one enters the Mahayana until the phase of meditative warmth, as this is understood in the Mahayana. So he says that um, because he's in the path of accumulation and there's a stage in the path of linkage called warmth and I believe he says this here because in order to distinguish this type of warmth from the warmth that occurs on the path of linkage I believe until the phase of meditative warmth, no maybe he's referring to, he's referring to the first stage of the path of linkage so I see, okay so from the point we enter up until the entry into the path of linkage. This would be um, the, the span of one's path that he's talking about. And this is the basis for what can be characterized as an appropriately designated the maya in a path of accumulation. So he's just just delineating the start and the end. Its characteristics are any positive factors pertaining to the level of a beginning practitioner that contribute to the attainment of Buddhahood. Those factors are what cause the phase of meditative warmth in the linkage path and other anticipatory phases to arise for the first time. What is characterized that are these positive factors from the point when one enters the Mahayana till the Mahayana path of linkage comes into effect. And what is motivated wholly by the desire for perfect enlightenment. Maybe I should repeat that. What is motivated all the time and everywhere by the desire for perfect enlightenment. These factors include ethical discipline, control of the senses, moderation in eating, diligence in undertaking intensive spiritual practices rather than indulgence in sleep in the late evening and early morning. delighting consciously and continuously engaging in ethical discernment of what to accept or reject in absence of regret concerning what's positive. Uh, Apps, actions, enthusiasm, faith, dedicated, intense, and any other positive factors that contribute to liberation. Interesting, an absence of regret concerning one's positive actions. We don't regret our positive actions. Did I get that right? I think so. Positive factors also derive from the sublime knowing, which is prajna, that results from receiving, contemplating, and meditating on the teachings. Those are the three stages of prajna. And so that gives rise to the positive factors, those three stages of Prajna. So he lists all these sort of these things that relate to conduct, and then he mentions uh, Prajna. All these positive factors are required for the path, the next path to to arise. If we analyze this path of accumulation, we find there are three phases, the initial, intermediate, and final. During the initial phase, uh, the initial cause of the attainment of Buddhahood, one embarks on a process that takes a long, a very long freaking time. At this point, while one is cultivating the four applications of mindfulness, one is, it is uncertain when the path of linkage will come into effect. He mentions the four applications of mindfulness because if you flip back to the Shravaka section on page 129, the path of accumulation in the initial phase is focused on the four foundations of mindfulness. That is the focus of the beginning stages of the path. Whether you knew it or not, that's what your path revolves around initially in terms of practice and study. The four foundations of mindfulness. Oh, uh, Let's see. Skipping the quote. During the intermediate phase, when it's cultivating what are called the four aspects of correct renunciation. And it becomes certain that the path of linkage linkage while one is cultivating them, uh, one will definitely experience the path of linkage in one's next lifetime. And if uh, if you actually make it to the final phase of the path of accumulation, the four bases of supernormal powers, it becomes certain that the path of linkage will come into effect in the present lifetime. So, uh, skipping back to Shravakas page 130, on the bottom, the four aspects of correct renunciation prevent negative tendencies that haven't developed from developing, control those that you do have, you know, don't give rise to new bad habits, uh, Try to uh, try to get rid of the current bad habits, try to give rise to virtues that you don't have, and try to increase virtues that you do have. Page 131, The Four Basis of Supernormal Power. I think everybody would like to have supernormal powers, be a superhero. What do you got to do? You have to cultivate uh, four kinds of meditative absorption. Intention, diligence, attention, and analysis. So one meditates by giving rise to one-pointed intention in this case what is the one the the intention one pointed on in the mahayana case you got it mary beth take it away
3: bodhicitta
0: bodhicitta attain enlightenment for the sake of others thank you Uh, using some positive frame of reference on either relative or ultimate level in the same context with intense diligence when trains one sustains one's meditation diligence in practice so first is the intention to practice, to study to understand the Dharma to transform one's being second is being diligent therein third, through attention one focuses on it one pointedly we don't get distracted and get lost and start studying alchemy and voodoo and up, golf, and things like this, we remain one pointed on uh, attaining enlightenment in our practice. And uh, let's see, and through analysis one thoroughly investigates the object of one's meditation. Now our object tentatively, uh, no tentatively, putatively, our object is the breath, but We're not going to focus on analyzing that object. Really, our object is the mind. The breath is like a gateway to the mind. So we're intently investigating the mind in our meditation practice and in our study. What the hell is the mind? Where can I get one? Anyway, back to the Mahayana. Um, Distinctive feet. Yes, ma'am.
3: Can I just ask a question before really, we go on?
0: I need to ask if you can ask a question because you've already asked one. Then two, you, then you, as soon as up. Two. two, okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's an observation. This discipline and diligence sort of always confused me. They seemed like sort of the same thing. But in this chapter that we just read, it seemed like he was saying that discipline is trying not to do bad things, and that diligence is trying to do good things. Is that oversimplifying?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. I would not agree with that. The discipline is. Uh, not doing bad things and doing good things as much as you can and that's di- discipline and diligence is being strenuous about it having exertion uh, effort so when you look at the paramitas the second paramita is discipline yeah. the, the uh, fourth paramita is exertion so, how do you differentiate those two?
3: Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in in the way that I just said, discipline is uh, is these four. What do they call them? The four. Um, sort
3: of like knowing what you should do, and then diligence is doing it.
0: No, discipline is um, being very specific about. Not causing harm and trying to cause benefit, and diligence is trying to do that all the time. Okay. As opposed to like when it suits you, when it when you the mood hits you, or when when like when people are watching, as opposed to when people are not watching, or when you're going to get credit for it, things like that. And do, diligence is like. Doing it wholeheartedly, really meaning it, putting your whole body and mind into your activity, and uh, not thinking that um, I can do it from four to five in the afternoon, but the rest of the day is mine.
3: Or <laughs> just on Sunday.
0: Right, just on that'll be my day. I'll go to church. I'll be, you know, be a good boy. I'll meditate. I'll go to the Dharma gathering. Donate five bucks, exactly. But all the time, every day, all the time.
2: It's kind of like persistence.
0: Yeah, perseverance, persistence, per, persnicketyness. I think the features of this path are five. I'm trying to get. Uh, well, okay, this is a good path. I'll be. I'll be. Satisfied with this path tonight. I'll try to manage my expectation. The distinctive antidote employed is complete dista- detachment. So, what are the qualities that we cultivate on the, uh, our beginning stages of our path as a Buddhist, as somebody trying to attain enlightenment for others? Uh, complete disenchantment from samsara. That is, one considers the shortcomings of anything compounded. What is something compa- what are, What are? What is compounded?
2: Phenomena. Everything.
0: Everything. Everything is compounded, <laughs> um, and that's corruptible. Everything compounded can be corrupted. Power corrupts absolutely. Uh, the distinctive process of elimination is the elimination of overt fixation the root of samsara's fixation as one perceives that anything compounded and thus corruptible is flawed so give up your fixation on all of this compounded and therefore flawed samsara figure out what you're fixated on and work on letting go the distinctive realization is realization that is predominantly theoretical oh I understand that I know what that means. Sublime knowing arises from hearing about and contemplating the non existence of both kinds of real of identity, although there is also some realization that arises from meditation. So at this stage our understanding is primarily theoretical. As it's primarily the first two types of prajna. Although there is a little bit of realization that arises from meditation. What was that? Did you guys hear that? Just me. Um, The distinctive qualities of this path are such that one is able to take the first steps on the path to enlightenment because one's mind has become pliable, processed, Xinjianged. And can, for example, rest in the meditative absorption of calm, abiding, and profound insight. So we have a sense of resting in Shamatha Vipassana, which is huge because it's very hard to know what is Vipassana. It is explained that through the power of this absorption, one we'll will attain deep levels of insight sublime states of perception and so forth and will receive spiritual advice from nirmanakaya buddhas, enlightened beings, Chung yam karmapa, so forth. Skipping the quote, the distinctive instructions on meditation fall into two categories, general and specific. In the first case, according to the general instruction, all three phases of the path of accumulation involve the following discipline that focuses on the proper use of the body and speech sublime knowing that arises from hearing contemplating and meditating on the words of the buddha's sublime speech and their underlying meaning the four axioms of the dharma the four marks the five factors conducive to liberation and the recollection the six recollections buddha dharma sangha discipline this encumberment the body death birth and inhalation exhalation that was way more than six wasn't it usually there's Oh, it might be the three jewels and then two three four five six seven anyway somewhere it's close that <laughs> it was close inhalation and exhalation that's meditating on the breath right Meditate on the words of the Buddha's speech and their understanding. The four axioms, the five factors conducive to liberation, which he'll tell us about, and then these recollection. The method of meditating on the four axioms. So uh, he's not going to explain meditating on the words of the Buddha's sublime speech and their underlying meaning, because that the whole book is about that, presumably. But he's going to tell us how to meditate on the four axioms. Is to arouse bodhicitta, like we all did earlier whatever way we can, whatever way we think that arousing bodhicitta is. And I might add that we should constantly think, what is arousing bodhicitta? So maybe we refine and progress in how we arouse bodhicitta. Not to say that any of what anybody did was wrong, but uh, maybe you can go further in your way of arousing bodhicitta. Then you meditate on the permanence of everything. Compounded is the first axiom on the nature of all that is corruptible as the suffering of samsara. Everything that is corruptible is suffering. On the lack of identity of all phenomena is the third axiom. And on nirvana as being a state of complete and utter peace complete rest. It's the fourth axiom, and then one concludes by dedicating the practice to others. So this is a contemplation practice you can do, you can do the four marks, axioms, as a contemplation practice and surrounded by rousing bodhicitta taking refuge in bodhisattva vow, and dedication to merit. In a similar way, one cultivates the recollections. He's not going to do the five factors, unfortunately. one cultivates the recollection of death. I don't know what happened to the other ones, but given that one's own and others' lives are by nature impermanent, as well as the nine perceptions of the body's uncleanliness. So when he said uh, meditate on the body, he means meditate on the impurity of the body. Uh, which, let's see, the eight contemplations of a great spiritual practitioner and the purification of one's entire range of perception. Let's see if he explains what these are. In the last case, oh, he's not going to give the eight contemplations. Oh, well. In the last case, actually, the eight might be the uh, illusions that I talked about earlier, which is the third volume of the finding rest. Anyway, in the last case, One applies as general antidotes to the three mental poisons. What are the three poisons? Lead. um, What other toxins? What are the three poisons?
2: Ignorance,
0: aggression, and passion. Arsenic. Arsenic, passion, aggression, ignorance, attachment, aggression, and stupidity. Uh, The. mental poisons the methods that refine away one's behavior patterns these antidotes are given by the requests of subahu uh work on desire by regarding impurity and one can apply the moisture of love and compassion in the case of aversion and for ignorance meditate on interdependent origination so that's the standard Uh, way of applying antidotes. For those of us that are really fixated on sense attachment, desire for sense objects, you meditate on the ugliness of the body, impurity of the body. And if you're a particularly angry person, you meditate on love and compassion. And if you don't know which type you are, that means you're an ignorant person or a blockhead, as is technically known. And therefore you should meditate on interdependent origination or the 12 Madonnas. And then he goes through the perception, the nine stages of uh, impurity. One meditates on perceiving corpses decomposing, uh, riddled with maggots, mottled with dark blotches, rotting, putrefying, devoured by wild animals, scattered in pieces, and being cre- cremated, and disintegrating the uh, variation on the traditional nine stages of deterioration of, of a corpse sometimes known as skeleton meditation. According to explanations in the commentaries and the main scriptural sources, eight great contemplations, sorry, of eight contemplations of a great practitioner are. At some point may be able to relieve the sufferings of beings, may be able to provide great wealth to beings, may be able to achieve benefit for beings, may be able to ensure benefit for beings. Uh, may I be able to fulfill the hopes of beings, may I be able to conclusively eliminate the sufferings of beings, may I never take rebirth that is not beneficial to beings, uh, and uh, may the fruits of the harmful actions that beings commit ripen upon me and not them. Um, the eight contemplations of a great spiritual being. Interesting. Regarding the purification of one's entire range of perception, which was the last thing to meditate upon, uh, he quotes from the Ornament of Sutras: "When the heirs of the Victorious Ones act in any way whatsoever, their perceptual faculties functioning in a variety of ways, they are aware of things as they are. So, understanding the emptiness of things, threefold purity of actor, action, and acted upon." And uh, with appropriate words, make this av- evident in order to benefit beings. So, you know, acknowledge that everything is empty. This means one should understand what the Garlands of Buddhas and other texts says about the purification of the entire of perception. And this is a, 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 a great one that shows us, like, how do you bring every part of your life onto the path in the Mahayana sense? Um, when you're entering a building, you should give rise to the attitude, may all beings attain the citadel of liberation. I'm entering the citadel of liberation. May everybody do that. By extension, they should give rise to the following attitudes. When lying down, when we lie down, may beings attain the kaya buddhahood, just like the Buddha when he attained the parinirvana, he lay down. When dreaming, may beings realize that all phenomena are like dream, dream images. So that entails first knowing that you're dreaming, and then Wanting all beings to uh, realize that everything is a dream. When waking, think. May beings awaken from their ignorance. First thing you should think about when you wake up. (laughs) Everybody wakes from their ignorance. Um, On arising, not standing up, may beings attain the rupakaya of Buddhahood. Like getting into your body. You know, sort of manifest when dressing. May beings be clad in self-respect and modesty. Gives you a little indication of what kind of clothes to wear. Uh, and uh, When fastening a sash or a belt, may beings be united with fundamentally positive qualities, strapping yourself in. And when taking a seat, when sitting down, may beings attain a vajra seat. It's really the vajra seat, the seat of enlightenment. Bodhgaya, vajrasana, and David has similar sections in the book, you know, like, for every little thing you do, you should, like, think, may this bring about the enlightenment of all beings in some way or another. In, uh, I believe he even includes going to the bathroom in there. Um, let's see. Finally, attention to the breath, as one inhales and exhales, can be used skillfully as a precursor to the accomplishment of meditative absorption it's uh, a method of taming thought, what tames the thinking process by paying attention to the cycles of, of breath, following the exhalation of a uh, yard from the mouth or nose, and then returning inhalation. So, visualizing your breath as it goes out for about three feet, and then coming back in a line, which... Uh, not the practice that we do, but some people do do that practice. Subsequently, one can cultivate the relative aspect of bodhicitta, by which he means the four immeasurable attitudes of love, uh, compassion, joy, and equanimity, and its ultimate aspect, i.e. meditation in the context of emptiness, without any of the usual proliferation and subsiding of thoughts. (laughs) No thinking during this meditation, which should pacify thoughts and cultivate Bodhisattva in the second case, the distinctive instruments of meditation we refer to three phases. During the initial phase of the path of accumulation, we'll cultivates... So here's going to go through the traditional scheme of the three stages of the path of accumulation to give you the Mahayana slant on them. And we looked at it a few minutes ago. The first phase was focused on the four foundations of mindfulness. The second phase was based on the four correct renunciations. And the third phase was based on the, f- the four... Uh, Foundations for the supernormal powers, being a superhero. And he says here, during the initial phase of the path of accumulation, we we'll cultivate four applications of mindfulness. For the first, mindfulness on the body, during meditative equipoise, during meditation, one meditates on the body as being like space. A little bit different than the shravaka approach. During the post-meditation, one meditates on it as being impure like an illusion, and so forth, which is similar to the Shravaka approach. So post-meditation is similar. For uh, foundation of mindfulness on sensations, during meditation, one meditates on sensations as having no origin, without origin. And during the uh, post-meditation phase, one regards any sensation at all as painful yet without any pith or essence, like a hollow reed, which is more like the Shravaka approach. Uh, so he's, in the Mahayana, we use the four foundations of mindfulness as a way of reaffirming our understanding of emptiness in, in these different ways. For the foundation of mindfulness on the mind, during meditation, when meditates on the mind is empty by nature, and during post-meditation, on the mind is unimpeded and not abiding in any fixed way. That's an interesting Mahayana version for the application based on dharmas or phenomena during meditation we uh, meditate on the equalness of all phenomena equalness equality and during the post meditation on the eight analogies concerning the illusoriness of things and and so forth illusions rainbows dreams and so forth those eight famous uh, analogies In this way, the cultivation of the four applications of mindfulness, which occurs during the initial phase of the path of accumulation, leads one to the four noble truths as they are experienced on the path of seeing. All the paths, if you remember, revolve around a correct and complete understanding of the four noble truths. The first results in understanding that the body produces suffering, which in turn leads one to understanding the first noble truth of suffering. The second mindfulness of sensations or feelings, uh, understanding that sensations produce suffering, so they're the cause of suffering, leads one to understand, uh, leads one to el- the elimination of the universal origin of suffering. By identifying the cause, we have the first step towards the elimination. Meditation on mind as a leads one toward the full experience of the cessation of suffering when culminates that that uh, process of eliminating suffering, the cessation of the belief that things are permanent or real. And meditation on phenomenal lacking in identity leads one to the cultivation of the path by undermining one's fixation on identity. he starts quoting from Maitreya's thoroughly distinguishing between center and extremes, the Madhyata Bhivaga text, which goes through the paths of the Bodhisattva. Uh, Let's see, during the intermediate phase of the path of accumulation one makes an effort to prevent negative factors that have not yet occurred from occurring. So he goes through the traditional scheme we just talked about. To this end, one uses antidotes such as meditating on the non existence of identity and on the experience of the dream state or illusion. Skipping the quote, the final phase of the path accumulation consists of cultivating the four bases of supernormal powers. This involves accomplishing desirable goals such as achieving deep levels of insight. Sublime states of perception and supernormal powers through an inner process of meditative absorption that focuses the mind one-pointedly integrating calm, abiding, and profound insight. The focus once again being on the, the united experience of Samachana Vipassana. Skipping the quote, in this context, the bases of supernormal powers referred to are the strengths of a mind rendering pliant, rendered pliant through meditative stability. The result of shamatha is pliancy. The culmination of apashna is pliancy. By means of which these supernormal powers are then Accomplished their four aspects, the meditative absorption of attention, which we went through, that of diligence, that of attention, and that of analysis. Thus, initially, one's mind focuses on a single object of attention if thoughts proliferate when one's mind is resting on this very stable matter. Without indulging in them, one immediately focuses one pointedly on the object of attention, repeatedly meditating in that way." So, one-pointed-focus type of meditation is promoted here as opposed to boycotting the in-breath. It's very radical. Let's see the path of linkage, uh, linkage. Maybe we should pause there. Comments? Concerns? Suggestions? Questions? What do you guys think? Where are you on the five paths? lesser, medium or greater phase of accumulation
2: very much lesser
0: <laughs> very much lesser <laughs> the lowest of the low <laughs>
2: the lowest of the low, but you know, I just found this i I really loved this um, whole presentation
0: yeah i found uh, you know i read i i read i realized I read this presentation of the five paths many years ago in some other context, and that gave me this. Image in my mind that this book was amazing, and through and through, I sort of generalized to the whole thing it's really it had such helpful difficult parts in it
2: i also um that whole uh where where did he say when he says um oh, no, I can't find it about um really asking yourself. Do you really, are you really, um, focused on enlightenment? And I, uh, I, I was at a teaching once where the teacher asked that and I was like, am I? I don't, you know, it really, uh, struck me as, I, I don't know, you know?
0: It's very different than the way most people come to meditation these days in Buddhism, yeah. Yeah. well, you know I'm stressed out, and uh i just I just want to you know meditate and learn how to calm down and and sleep you know whatever it is or but even
2: beyond that uh, because i the, I'm, I don't feel like I fall into that category, but just you know am I really serious about this? <laughs> Yeah. How serious am I? You know, it sort of puts me, it really, like, makes me look at myself.
0: Yeah, if you had to choose between this and uh, whatever else is your next biggest priority.
2: Like, do I want that piece of chocolate? No.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a little easier, but, but yeah. How bad, do you really want to become enlightened? Is, is that really the objective in your life Mm -hmm. what's the meaning of life what's your goal in life what's your prime objective as captain kirk would say (laughs) our prime objective is anyone else comments
2: i had
1: a question about um why okay so this is going back to the 22 analogies which as you can tell i'm quite obsessed by but um so what he calls here compassion and profound insight, but then the note no, notices that normally that would be um, like mindfulness and insight. I think that's what he says. Sorry, let me. It would be logical to expect calm, sorry calm abiding to be paired with profound insight. So so he ha, whether it's compassion and profound insight or calm abiding and profound insight, either way it's associated with vehicle and it's really far along on the path, it's like in the Buddhahood section. And I found that confusing and surprising because I would think of calm abiding and profound insight as shamatha Vipassana and as the sort of a starting place for most people. So why is it like way, way, way far along?
0: Well, uh, without looking at it, my hunch is that to have genuine Compassion is very and, and genuine insight is a very advanced experience. Where are you, what what page are you looking on?
1: All right, so I'm on 178 back in the um, list of all of the analogies and what they all mean. Um, so in that chunk of them, he says compassion and profound insight. Um, is like the fifth from the last um, of the analogies.
0: Mm-hmm. The tr- yeah, the transcendent perfection of spiritual strength, of timeless awareness. So that's, that's the 10th Paramita. Mm-hmm. Sublime states of perception, merit, and timeless awareness. Mm-hmm. Conducive to enlightenment, compassion, and profound insight. And how are how are those mapped in our little uh, um, charts here? Oh, Uh, let's see. found inside a vehicle. Yep. These are in the five factors that are generally associated with the three higher Bhumis. And the footnote says usually it would be shamata and pravash.
2: Well, they, I, they say, what did
1: they say? He doesn't say shamata. that was my understanding. He says calm abiding. It would be logical to expect calm abiding to be paired with profound insight. But the treasury in the source text say compassion
0: Calm abiding is uh, usually the translation of shamatha. Right. Interesting. I don't know. And then, you know, we didn't talk about it at all, actually. Is, is, uh, what are they anal- why do the analogies match up with these levels? You know, what is it about a vehicle right. that brings to mind compassion and profound insight? Or a reservoir, the powers of complete recall. That has a little bit of a affiliation, maybe. A king, sublime states of perception. A treasury, merit and timeless awareness. Merit and wisdom. Those are the two treasures, the two accumulations, right? A highway is so all the factors conducive to enlightenment. A vehicle, the main conveyance for a vehicle is compassion and insight, the two main factors of, of a bodhisattva's path, compassion and wisdom. It's the gasoline that powers your vehicle. Yeah, I, I would think compassion and, and wisdom, not shamatha and vipassana. But if, if profound insight is a translation for vipassana, that's the odd one. You would think wisdom would be there. How about an echo? An echo is the feast of the Dharma. This is on Buddhahood or, or no tenth tenth level a river a path that can be followed in one direction only
3: oh. okay you are not you are not sharing a chart. you are sharing your desktop and all your files. Just oh
0: okay.
3: it was very interesting and very neat and orderly. And ahead. I am I am Are impressed. You
0: impressed? <laughs> Are you impressed?
3: I am and inspired.
0: <laughs> Look, see?
3: I am impressed and inspired.
0: <laughs> okay, good to know, good to know.
1: So, just like to grab up that question. So, should I think of um I was just I was like, oh, these seem like things that would come some of these things seem to me like things that one would do earlier in their path. But I guess the point is that you can aspire to do them or sort of do them, but you don't master them until the later stage. Is that a good?
0: Yeah, that's totally right on. Just like the paramitas, you know, try to practice generosity and discipline and patience from day one Right. and diligence. And we try to meditate and we try to understand what's going on, but we don't perfect them till much later.
1: Right,
0: got it. Okay. What else, any other comments about the readings or about my files? <laughs> um, stop sharing. Anything else? December 8th, right? So, what are you guys doing tomorrow? Anyone?
1: Working,
3: teaching.
0: Working, teaching. Anyone else? Mary Beth, what are you doing tomorrow?
3: I'm going to aspire.
0: Thank you. Every day, aspiring to enlightenment. What are we all doing tomorrow? We're aspiring to, my, to enlightenment. What are we doing the next day? Aspiring to enlightenment. <laughs> and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. Thank you, Marybeth. You got it. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll begin next week with the path of linkage, and we'll see what we can accomplish. And uh, we'll see. Let's see. Next week is the 15th. I presume that's not a problem for people to... Uh, meet on that night what about uh, the 22nd how many people among us won't be able to meet on the 22nd vacations to the Seychelles you're going to the Seychelles Kevin again this year good for you Um, okay so pretty much everybody's maybe we'll do it on the 22nd we'll meet again and see what we can accomplish and and then uh, adjourn for the year I imagine Let's dedicate the merit. This merit, may I obtain omniscience, may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth all day, sickness and death from the ocean of samsara. May I free all beings. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful fun going through this section with you guys and uh, have a nice week and stay safe and healthy. Thank you, Derek. Thank you,
2: Derek. Good night. Take care.
0: Oh, I'm the host. and meeting for all. Okay. We're